great to be here. My name's Ethan, and uh, it's fun to see so many uh, faces. Um, obviously, first service was a little bit bigger than this, but um, nevertheless, it's, I'm happy to be here with you guys. Um, so, man, where to start? Like, I, I spent 13 years here at this church, kind of in my early years of ministry. Uh, in fact, right out of college is how I ended up here. I, my brother-in-law knew a guy who was a pastor here doing children's ministry. His name was Mike Hatcher. He said, why don't you give him a call? I think they need a little help with children's ministry. Now, I didn't know anything about kids' ministry. And so it was new, so we met, and he, we kind of made this deal. He said, why don't you stay for the summer? And after the summer, if either of us want to go different ways, <laughs> we can go. We can do that. If you want to go, that's fine. If you're not a good fit, we're going to let you go. Um, that turned into 13 years here. So I, I did, uh, you know, four years of children's ministry. I did two years of junior high. Then I did four years of high school. And then I became the student ministries, like, pastor and oversaw uh, missions and things like that. I also, interestingly enough, somewhere in there was doing maintenance. I did facility stuff. So I would scrape gum off the ground, you know, um, pick up uh, trash and fix sprinklers, all that kind of stuff. Um, back then, none of this existed. There's a parking lot, and uh, it was just here. But uh, it's it's great to see see things change. But I I just haven't I can't look back at my life without thinking of the change that this church had in my life in so many ways. I mean, I I cried here, I laughed here, um, I preached my first sermon here in that room over there, and uh, it was just it marked me in tremendous ways. Uh, one main way that the church marked me was, um, I remember it was a summer in July, 2001, and I was doing announcements, and back in the day, in those days we wore suits, like suits and ties, remember that? That was one of my first things I, I asked Rick, I'm like, oh, you're not still wearing suits, all right, please tell me you're not. Um, he said I could wear shorts, but I just couldn't do that, but anyway, um, I was preaching in there, and or no, I was doing announcements in there, and uh, in walked a uh, blonde uh, young lady, uh, yellow shirt, uh, jeans, skirt, and uh, it occurred to me at that moment, like, you know, we don't really do welcoming visitors very well. You know, we could do so much better job at assimilating our guests to the church, and so I, I decided right then and there, I'm going to do a much better job at this, and I'm going to start with that young lady there, and... So I would ask her out on a date, we went out to a dinner, we went to an angel game, and two years and one day later, Pastor Don married us. And that was 17 years ago, uh, last August. Uh, we had two kids, one of them was born here at this church, uh, Karis, uh, she was dedicated here. My wife was teaching Sundays or uh, um, preschool in these rooms right here for 11 years. Our kids came to preschool here at the church, and uh, now my daughter's at uh, high school at El Toro. So it's crazy. It's just crazy when I look back at all the things that this church has uh, it's been in my life over those years. But how grateful I am. Because during those years, I got, I got mentored um, by, certainly by the pastors here, by Don and the other pastors, but I, I learned so much about the gospel. I learned about church and community from you from people that are here. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that you not only uh, taught the gospel, you showed us how to live it each and every day, that we, we are to continue in the gospel. It's not just something we, like Adam said, we just sing about on Sundays, but it's something for every day of our lives. And so those were some of the things 
that I, I learned here. I'm also, this week, was looking back at this different people that I worked with and saw some of them here that are still here, like uh, Bill Smith and Ryan and Shauna Day and um, uh, Brian Wood, whose parents are still here. I mean, there's so many that I worked on staff with. Um, so many, I see your, I've seen, you know, your kids are part of our ministry and all of that. And it's just so neat to think back and I look at all these people that I worked with and how they're still either in ministry or they're walking with the Lord. I don't think there's any exceptions. And so there's something really special about a church like this that really takes training um, young men and women seriously, and I'm so thankful for that. But that, what I just said, really ties into our passage today. I believe you guys started last week, 2 Timothy, and now we're in chapter 1, we're starting in verse 8, and we're really, we're picking up at that same place. The, the message here is Timothy, the apostle, is writing to his young, a young pastor named Timothy and showing him what it is to be a pastor, what it looks like, what it feels like, who you are to be. It's much like the experience I got here. But it's, um, I, I know Rick talked about this last week, like why are we as a church studying a book written to a pastor? Like this is great for seminary, but why are we dealing with it as a church? And there's, he gave a lot of answers. I, I would add this one too that I believe you're all preachers, right? I, I believe you're all preachers. You all preach to somebody. And some, some preachers preach up here on a, a table or pulpit or whatever to a crowd. Some of you are teaching small groups or life groups. Some of you are um, ministering to a discipleship group or, you know, a couple people. Um, some of you are ministering, you're preaching to your family. And I hope all of you are, like I said earlier, preaching to yourself, that you are daily preaching the gospel to yourself, that that's how we are to live and breathe, remembering who we are in Christ and who we've been. And so I want all of you to hear this. This whole book is is written to people like you that are trying to know and understand the gospel and to preach it from their lives. So today... The Apostle Paul, we get into this passage in verse 8 where he uses this word ashamed. He said, Paul is writing to Timothy, he said, Timothy, I do not want you to be ashamed of the gospel. We think about that, like what that means. And we, probably a lot of us, we know shame. Shame is such a deep feeling that is deep within us. We have things that we've done that we regret, that we feel ashamed of. Uh, another word that we can use that's a little less uh, intimidating is embarrassing, right? I don't want you to be embarrassed of the gospel. I don't want you to be embarrassed of me. Um, how many of you have an embarrassing moment? Well, I'm not going to ask you to share it. Don't worry. I'll share mine because embarrassing moments is what you do when you get to know people, right? When you're kind of getting to know people and you're in a, like maybe a small group and you kind of share those things and it breaks the ice. We're all human. I remember mine was... Um, few years ago, working out at 24-Hour Fitness in San Juan Capistrano. It was the busy time of the morning, right? All the treadmills were taken. The only thing left was a bike in the back, you know. So I don't like riding exercise bikes, but I did that day. I got on it, but quickly into the workout, the seat wasn't right. I tried to adjust it, but I fell off the bike. Just fell right off. But that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was, for some reason, the cleaning crew was right there, and they put a big five-gallon bucket of hot, soapy water right next to my bike, which... I put my foot right in, but that wasn't the worst part because then trying to get my balance, I kicked that bucket and right across the gym, got people wet, water's everywhere, soapy water is everywhere. 
there's these guys next to me, they're like, if you remember the Muppets, you remember those two old men on the Muppets that would always like, you know, make those jokes? That's what happened. These two guys, they're like, you know, so that's what it looks like to kick the bucket. Ha, ha, ha. You know, and then he kicked the bucket before us. Ha, ha, ha. And I'm just, I'm shrinking. I'm just like, oh. So the cleaning crew looks at me and they're like, we'll take care of it. So, and so now I have to walk like past all the treadmills, all 30 treadmills, like squeak, 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 you know, and it, my workout was like a minute and a half, the shortest one ever, but I'm like, I am never coming back to this gym again. Um, we all have moments like that, right? That's fine. We can laugh at ourselves. But to be serious, it's, it's one thing to laugh at ourselves. It's another thing to be embarrassed or ashamed of the gospel. And that is what Paul is writing to Timothy saying, I don't want you to be ashamed of this. Right? Why would you be ashamed? Why would Timothy be ashamed? Um, there's probably a lot of reasons. We'll get into some of that. But some of us understand that too. The times where we said, ah, I want to be a good witness. I want to share my faith. And then someone asks you, like, you know, why are you so happy? Why do you have so much hope? And then you shrink back and you don't talk about Christ. Right? And you're like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Or people talk about, you know, what do you do on Sundays? Or, you know, we, we go to the beach or we play soccer and you, you don't talk about church or whatever. I mean, you know the scenarios. You've probably had them. And I, I hope that you're saying like, no, I've always stepped forward in faith. I've always shared. But I, I have the feeling that some of us have um, not risen to the challenge and we've been embarrassed. And so that, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about today. So for Paul talking to Timothy, this is significant. Saying you're a pastor, don't be timid. Don't be ashamed. Hold on to this. And the message is true for all of us here as well. When you're tempted to be embarrassed or just kind of, just fit in with the crowd. Remember this. This is what we're talking about. Stay strong. Um, today we'll talk about theology. We'll talk about an example that Paul gives for his own life. And then we'll talk about real life encouragement and what that looks like. So that's our plan today. So first, we've got to start with correct theology. Understanding that theology of grace is the thing that's going to help you fight your insecurities. All right? Um, that's right where Paul goes. So in 2 Timothy 1, verse 8 through 10, you're going to hear the gospel. He says this. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us, who called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And you hear that? Do you hear him working the gospel through this? He starts with therefore, so being good students, we got to go back like, what's it there for? What's he talking about? If you go back to chapter, uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, well, for this reason. Okay, well, now, now you got to go back. Okay, though, well, what's that reason that you've been saved, that you have this faith that you've learned from your mother and your grandmother? Okay, so for that reason, because you've, you, you have this faith, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, in verse 6, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
So he's saying, you've been saved. I've laid my hands on you. You have the gift of God. That gift of God is in you, and it's giving you the power that you need of of love and of self-control. He says, because of all of that, you don't have to be ashamed. And then he goes in and speaks the gospel. He says, don't be ashamed of the gospel or of me. Now, one might say, like, why would he be ashamed of Paul? Like, Paul is like the greatest, you know, evangelist of of all time. He took the gospel to the Gentile world. Like, of course, he's amazing. He's a rock star. Why would we be embarrassed of him? But if you go back to Acts, you don't have to go there, but if you're interested, you want to study, Acts 21 and 20 and 21 talk about when he's kind of like, the end is near. And in 21, I believe it's verse 10, he is in Caesarea. And that it's this whole dialogue of the church in Caesarea saying, don't go to Jerusalem. You want to go to Jerusalem. That's where the Jews are. They're going to kill you. Don't go. They pleaded with him. There was even a prophet came Agabus. That's a great name. Um, he came and he took Paul's belt and he tied up his own hands and he says to the owner of this belt, your hands are going to be tied. You're going to be taken over by the Jews. You're going to be handed to the Gentiles. You're going to be killed. And the, the people are like, see, even Agabus knows what's going on. Paul, don't go. And he said, no, I've got to do it. I've got to go. And then I think it was in verse 14 that says, you know, like they just said, okay, he's in the Lord's hands. All right, whatever. We give up. You know who was there was Timothy. Timothy and Luke and some of his companions. They were the ones that were watching this saying, Paul, don't be stupid. You, we can go to the east, we can go to the north, we can go wherever you want to take the gospel. There's still so many people that need it. Don't go back to Jerusalem. You're not welcome there. And they still did it. And you can see Timothy now, years or a little time later, he's in Ephesus and just with the church and the rumors are going around and just like, Paul, like, why did you got to do that? Like, he just want to do his own thing. Whatever, but you just see kind of the, the shift there. And so here's Timothy kind of in the middle of this, and he's continuing to call him to not be ashamed. Don't be timid of me in the gospel. So you see that it's working itself out. But what does he do to confront that? He teaches him theology. Really, he reminds him of theology. I had a, a seminary professor come to our church uh, where I'm at right now a few years ago, and he told me, he's like, I don't come to church to learn new things. He's like, I come to church to remember all the things I've been taught and I'm not doing, the things I forgot. And that's probably for some of us here. I don't think you're going to learn anything new today, but I'm hoping to remind you those things that you've heard before that maybe we're just not doing. But anyway, he, the stuff that he talks about is found in the epistle, in, in Ephesians, it's all right there, and we can, we're, I'll look at it a little bit, but just the gospel is there. He, he's taking them, you, don't be ashamed, and here's how you're not going to do it. Remember what Christ has done for you. So in verse, 2 Timothy verse 1, verse 9, I'll read 9 and 10, but he says, He saved us, He called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, right, but according to His own purpose and grace. And if you look back and like, that sounds familiar, yeah, Ephesians 2. 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. 
And then he wrote in verse 9 again, he says, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. He already said that in Ephesians chapter 1 in that introduction, verses 3 through 6. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as, we cho- I mean, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless. And in love, he predestined us for adoption. He recalled before the beginning of the world. And then he said in verse 10, what is he sharing this gospel with Timothy? Which has now been manifested through Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life. And that sounds familiar. We go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that you are dead in your trespasses and sin. In verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with what he had loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. For by grace you have been saved. The gospel. Isn't it interesting that he's telling Timothy, like, don't be ashamed. Don't be timid. And and instead of just saying, you know, buck it up, be tough, you know, whatever we say to our, our young boys, you know, when we're trying to get them to be brave, like, you can do it. He doesn't give them any of that. Not at all. He says, no, because you, you, you can't do it. It's one thing I've learned. You can't do it. But Christ can do it, and he's already done it. And go back to that. Remember who you are, how you have been loved deeply. You've been called and chosen before anything, before you've done anything, and not, not of anything you might do in the future. He just loved you because he loved you. And then he gave, God gave us his son, Christ Jesus, who lived, who became our sacrifice, who took those sins, our sins, put them on the cross, took those away, took our sin, gave us his righteousness, adopted us into his family. We live forever and ever. Amen. That's where we find our strength. That's where we find our power and the power of God and the truth of his word and the gospel. So if any of you are struggling with that, just whether you're timid or you're embarrassed or you're just not sure uh, how to proclaim your faith, we go back to what Christ has done and how he's called us and loved us. Paul is teaching the gospel. He's done it many times. And what I love is that that is not the first time this gospel has been proclaimed at this church. Amen? Like for 50 years, this gospel has been proclaimed Sunday after Sunday, from all around this campus, not just in the sanctuaries, in the Sunday school classes, the preschool classes, the youth rooms, the gospel's being proclaimed. And that is amazing because not every church can say that. You know what happens. Churches start strong and then they just make compromises along the way. Please, please, please don't ever let that be compromised. Don't ever let the gospel be compromised here at this church or in your lives. Let that be front and center. And I know some of you are like, well, we've heard it before. We've heard it before. Yes, and you're going to hear it again. Know that you are loved and cherished by God. He has called you. He's redeemed you. He's brought you into into his kingdom. He has so many great things for you to do, for you to live in that in that glorious place. So may the gospel always continue to grow here. So that's where he starts first, bringing that theology, bringing the gospel. 
But then when we go to verse 11, now he's sharing an example of his own life. He's like, this is how I do it, Timothy. Here's how I've lived it. It says in verse 11, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Why is he not ashamed? Because of two things. Because one, he, he knows God, and then two, he trusts God. The first thing, he knows God. He's saying, but I know him who I've believed. In a, in a great classic book, probably some of you have read, the late J.I. Packer wrote in his book, Knowing God, he talks about this whole idea of the word know, how we know people. And he said, really, it's funny, in, in English, it's so, it's so broad, it's watered down, right? So, like, for instance, like, I can meet you for a Sunday, and we can talk, you know, over a donut or coffee. I don't think you're doing that these days. But we can have a conversation and go our ways, and I can say, I got to know you. I know you. But then there's other people that I've known for 26 years at this church. Uh, some that were here earlier, I did their weddings and baptized them and things like that. And that's, that's a different, whole different way of knowing someone, right? But we use that same word for all of this. And, and, and that's what he's saying. So many Christians, we say we know God, we know him, we've, we've had an interaction with him, or we sang worship songs or whatever, we know him. But what Paul's saying, I knew him. I, I know him. I knew him deeply. I took the time to sit with him and learn and pray. And I, I learned so much through suffering. And I, I learned through so much through the church and discipleship and all that. And I bet Paul would say, as evidenced by his other letters, that to know God means to love God. To love him. To have this deep passion for him. For all that God has done, how he's, he took Paul out of all people, this renegade, this guy that was killing Christians, and brought him into the kingdom and put this, this whole charge that he appointed him to be apostle to the Gentiles. Paul says, I'm not ashamed because I know this God. I love this God. And I think he would say that you, he's happy to suffer for someone he loves. And I think that resonates with us, right? You will suffer for someone that you love, whether it's your kids or your spouse or your family or even for a church. You will go to the nth degree to suffer for them so that they can be okay. And I think this is Paul is just saying, I, I'm not ashamed because I know God. I'm willing to suffer to do what he's called me to do. But then he says also, but I've, I've also trusted him. I trust him. He says, I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So think of it this way, that God has given him something that, that, that is special, that is wonderful, that is beautiful. I believe that that's his, this is his salvation. This is eternity. That Paul is saying that you have called me to this. Just as he wrote in, uh, in uh, I don't know where I am, my notes here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, it says, And God who has put his seal on us, and he's given us a spirit into our hearts as a guarantee, right? That God has given him the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, saying, I'm going to welcome you back home. I think the same way he's saying, this is the deposit that you made, and you're going to guard it. And I'm going to trust in that. 
But here's what's, what's really unique about that. Is he's, think of it this way. It's, it's weird. Be, if I give something really special, let's, this actually is special today, <laughs> water. Um, if I give this water for, so, let's say, this is, this is, there's no other water. This is all I have, and I, it's special to me. Um, if I give it to David, this is I over here. I say, David, take, hold this and guard it. Right? Don't spill it. Don't drink it. You know, bring it back to me. It's up to him to guard it. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying that God has given me this deposit, and he's the one guarding it. He's making sure it lasts. Those of you who had little kids, and when they're little, and they're learning how to walk, and they're carrying things, you know, they're carrying that, maybe they're at grandma's house, and they got some grape juice, and you're like, oh, you're so nervous, and you're kind of walking around them, like, don't spill, and you try, you know, you're, you're not going to let them spill that. That's the image. That he's got us. He's got us. Our, our eternity is secure. What can man do to me? Nothing. He's got us. And, and Paul is saying, I, I, I know him. I love him. I trust him. So that's his example. See, all of that points to a God who is in control. It's not about man. It's not about me. Paul is not saying, Timothy, you just got to be stronger. You just got to be more bold. You just got to take a chance. He's saying, no, Timothy, rely on the gospel. Find your strength in what God has done. Find your identity in the gospel. Find the power of God right there and lean into the power of God. Let him take care of everything else. So for us, as we talk about this issue of being timid or ashamed, what do we know? We know the gospel is central. And we need to lean onto the Lord, lean in Him, know Him, and love Him, and trust Him, and He's got us. This world will fade away, but that which is eternal will last forever. So that's where His strength came through, this loving and trusting relationship with God. So we saw the theology, we see the example, but now we see how it plays out in real life. Um, interesting verse, verse 15. You might pass by it and just keep on moving, but I, I'm going to read it and just feel, feel the weight of it. He says, you are aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me. All who were in Asia. That's Asia Minor. That's where the churches are that he planted. They've turned away from me. Among them are Phygelus and Hermogenes. They, these guys got their name referenced in the Bible one time. Not a good place. These people were ashamed of Paul. They turned away, much like all the churches in Asia that turned away. And just think of the pain. I mean, these are the churches he planted. These are the churches he went to. These are the cities that he was beaten in for them. But when it came down to it, they weren't there. He said in chapter 4, you'll get to that here in, in a few weeks. He says, at my defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. So whether that was a defense in Jerusalem where he's held on trial, or Caesarea where he's held on trial, or in Rome, all of these places that there was nobody there. They were, he was deserted. And these guys, the most they probably could have cared, but they just turned their back on him. And that's going to happen. But there's one shining example that we see in verse 16. He was refreshed by one person, Onesiphorus, 
That's how I'm saying his name. I know others say it a different way, but my grandfather said it this way. All right, and I'm going to stick with it. But he said, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and he found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you, you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. What a great guy. He left Ephesus, went to Rome. That's a nice journey. Went there. He looked for Paul. And back in the day, you didn't just go to the, the police headquarters and say, I'm looking for Paul. And they didn't say he's in cell block C45. No, there was nothing like that. You went from place to place looking. And do you know this guy? Do you know him? Until he found him. He searched for him. I'm sure when he got there, they embraced. I'm sure they sang songs, they prayed, they read the scriptures together. I'm sure he gave him some clothes and some books or some money, some food, whatever, because the state didn't provide that for their prisoners, all right? They weren't that nice. This guy came and he encouraged them. And you look, all of Asia turned their back on him, but one person refreshed him. And that talks about the power of just refreshing, the power of, of someone who was not ashamed He's like, I'm not ashamed of Paul. I'm going to go there. I'm going to find out. I don't care what happens. I'm going I'm to show my love for this man because of what God has done, how he's used him, and I'm going to continue that and bless him. What an encouragement. Um, I'm going to kind of just talk a little bit about being a pastor. These are those things that you, when, you, when it's your own church, it's really hard to talk about. You know, but a guest speaker, I can talk about it. Now, Rick did not ask me to talk about this at all. This is totally unsolicited. But being a pastor is tough. Right? I, when I was in seminary, I, um, I remember I had a project. I had to interview a pastor, and so I interviewed Don Smith up in that office over there. And I don't remember any question. I don't remember any answer other than this one. And I said, Don, what is the hardest thing about being a pastor? And he said, it's shepherding. Not, not doing the shepherding, but when you spend your whole life or these years caring for people and you, you preach to them, you're, you're vulnerable. Every Sunday when you preach, it's, it's not just words. like it's, it's vulnerability. We're preaching our hearts out. And you preach to them and you, you care for them and you help them through their family issues and you, 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 maybe you, you do their daughter's wedding or whatever and you, you do all this stuff and then for whatever reason, they just leave the church and, you know, go to a different church or whatever. He said, but, but sometimes people just leave without saying goodbye. He says, that just hurts. And, you know, he wouldn't say that if he wasn't a shepherd. But he was a shepherd, and I know Rick is a shepherd, and I know pastors, that's what we're called to do. We're called to shepherd you, which means not only, like, teach you and lead you, but provide for you and protect you and all of that. And these are these things that, that we get to, we take this responsibility, we take it seriously, and it's a joy to do it. We know not everybody receives it. We know there's some sheep that wander off. There's some sheep that just sit down and say, I'm not moving. There's some sheep that bite back. And we're okay with that. We get it. That's our job as a shepherd. We're going we're gonna to care and we're going to love. And we're going to walk with people. But it's tough. And I think during this time in our nation, our nation is just, I don't know what the COVID word is, but we're hangry, you know, whatever, however, you, people are frustrated, people are confused, all right, people are irritated, annoyed, and they're, 
they're, they're letting it fly. And sometimes pastors are taking that. And I don't know if Rick is. I don't know. He didn't tell me. I don't know anything. But I know other pastors that are taking a lot of heat right now. They can't do anything right. You know, do we open? Do we not open? Do we do it on Zoom? Do we do it live? Do we, you know, how, how do we do it? There's, it's so hard, and there's so much pressure. There was an article written, I, probably I read it last week. It had to be something very recent. But it talked about pastors ministering during this time of COVID. And it, what it was recognizing is that so many pastors are in counseling. They're talking about suicide, and some are committing suicide. And I knew one. I know a guy over in Tennessee that took his life. And it's not because it didn't work out, the faith, it's not true, or, you know, there's a crisis of faith. There's nothing like that. It's just the burden of how do you shepherd a congregation that's split and divided in so many different ways. So this, this quote says this. It, it's amazing. He said, leading anxious congregations, so throw in frustrated and confused, amidst a pandemic, a hyper-partisan culture, a civil rights movement, and an upcoming election is destroying the lives of our pastors. Well, pastor, are you Republican or are you Democrat? Are you, you know, Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter? I mean, what, where are you at in all these things? And there's, are we going to open or are we not? There's so much that's going on that our pastors are having to field. And, and how, do we, how do we lead a church where we have people on every side of all these things? So here's what I'm asking. For you, be a fantastic lamb to your pastor, to your shepherd, or corporately, be great sheep. Make it a joy. And I, I know you're going to have questions, and I know there's you know, disagreements and all that, but we can do that in a good way. Um, first and foremost, pray. Pray. If this is your church, if this is your church family, please pray for your pastor, for your pastoral staff. For your elders, that they'll know what to do, how to lead, that they'll seek God's heart and, and lead this congregation in a way that honors God. Pray for them. Pray for their families, their families that are hearing the stuff at home and, and uh, hearing some of the conflict and the, just as, as, as pastors and wives, they debrief and all that. They're hearing things. But let's pray for them, that they'll know how to handle that. Let's care for them in different ways. And there's, you can be so creative in how you care. But I would just say, for the next six months or however long this thing goes, like how can we as a church really come together, be unified? We're going to have our differences. We're going to have different bumper stickers reporting, you know, supporting different sides and different parties. That's okay. But how can we come together and love each other as Christ uh, loved us? How can we love our shepherd and support him? How can we be led and, and let let the gospel just continue to work out and shape our hearts and lead us towards heaven. Anyway, just I would love for you to be more of the, the onesiphorous than the homogenies, right? Be a church that supports and cares and seeks him out. How are you doing? How are you doing, pastors? How can I pray for you? How can I care for you? That's what I'd long for. But all of that comes together in this whole idea of how do we be unashamed. We, we hold on to the gospel. We're going to know God deeply. We're going to love each other deeply. We do that. We are on our way.
towards making a powerful statement to this world, what God has done in our lives, what he's continuing to do, and how he can use this church in this valley. So for 13 years, I was here walking this place and ministering, but really being ministered to, ministered by so many of you. But what I really do hold on to is the gospel. But that's the message that I heard. The, the gospel is what we need each and every day. So my encouragement to all of you is hold on to that. Let God's word continue to resound in this courtyard and in the sanctuaries and every room. Let his name be heard. Let the truths of the gospel ring forth. And we're going to do that. I, I, I'm confident that this church is going to stand as a light in this community for another 50 years or until Christ returns. I can't wait to see that. I've been blessed and, and, and privileged to be called a member of the staff. And I just want to thank you all for the ways that you've supported me through the years and even just now today too. So um, thank you for that. May God bless you all. Heavenly Father, as we close this time uh, on a warm day, we thank you, Lord, for what you have done, for what you have done, how you, you have called us and you knew us and you, you called us into your family. You gave us Christ. Lord, you gave us uh, this forgiveness and you, you gave us your, your righteousness so that we can live in that. And may we be men and women, young and old, that continue to hold on to the truths of Scripture, hold on to the gospel, that, we would, that this, is, this gospel would never get old. It would never get tired, but it would be more alive each and every day. So may we hold on to that. May we follow this example of Paul's by knowing, loving, and trusting God. May we be in discipleship throughout our lives as we know, Lord, that each and every day we're going to love you more and trust you more. And may this church be full of members that can be an encouragement to their shepherd, to their elders, to the staff. And I ask that you would do amazing things here at Christ Community in the coming years. I thank you. I praise you and ask all of this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.